0: Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason
2: that people are talking about India is massive digitization
0: and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-hosts are Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors, and Lee Chenren, the Director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Please note, I'm registered representative of Side Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor of Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of some investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of Wisdom Tree's affiliates. A really interesting show today, Professor. We are starting to get word of economies getting back to work. Um, the markets have been really robust. Another very strong week, but... 22 million people now out of work. Be interesting to get your thoughts on what's going on. Then we're going to have a uh, Dr. Barg from the Pennsylvania uh, University, of Pennsylvania uh, Hospital System, Medicine, School of Medicine, uh, giving his views on what's been happening. How are we going to open up this economy? Uh, but Professor, to start the show, what what give us your take on the news this week? How you're thinking about what's going on?
2: Well, uh, let me tell you. Um, I, I was excited last uh, yesterday when the word on rem. Remdesivir, the antiviral, uh, came. I've been following that for a long time, and uh, the news out of the University of Chicago uh, system. uh, Again, it's anecdotal. We know that it isn't final, but it actually can. It is even better than an earlier uh, informal study on on remdesivir. Um, I've often said that uh, a therapeutic um is probably more important now for the markets than a vaccine. A vaccine is obviously the final solution but it's it's going to be a it's going to be a long time it 's going to be into next year um, and uh, we need to open up uh substantially before then uh what 's so important about a therapeutic is that if we could reduce the worst outcomes of this virus and turn it into a flu at best uh, um... that we uh, that we've lived with for hundreds of years and we've all gotten at one point or another um... but uh, sends a very tiny fraction of us to, uh, you know to the to an icu um... remdesivir is one of many we know there's many other trials that are coming out it's great that this one has has uh, given it a boost and and uh, the criterion for opening up. We all know we need more testing um, to isolate the the hot spots. Um, Ultimately, it's confidence. Ultimately, it is the consumer feeling that he and she can go out and buy. I often make the point that it is not so much about whether something is open or not. It is whether you want to buy or not. The airlines have remained open all the time, (laughs) but uh, the the number of people that use it has fallen 95%. So uh, it's confidence, or it's confidence that uh, I can mix with people, and if I get it, okay, I'm going to feel bad for a couple of days, but, hey, this is you know, the risk that I've taken for a long time, and I think uh, this is, uh, it will change the mindset of individuals. It's the early stage, but I'm very, very uh, encouraged by that. Yes, the basic news is terrible and will be terrible. Don't forget, all the economic news is through the rearview mirror. Um, it's it's yesterday. Um, The market is forward-looking towards tomorrow, next week, next month, in fact, next year. And the point that I continue to make, that over 90% of the value of stocks depends on earnings more than 12 months out into the future, still is, is so important. People ask me, why are stocks rallying? I said, it's because of that.
3: Uh,
2: um, it's not because any of the news that we get from the standard economic uh, unemployment, all that is going to be horrible for a period of time. But it is what we are looking forward to. That's what the market discounts, um, and that is why the market has, has been robust. And I don't think... It has overshot. Many people said, oh, my goodness, it's bounced up way too high given what, how, how things can. I don't, I don't think so. Um, yes, there could be setbacks from this point uh, onward, but uh, given the news on the flattening of the curve and the development of the therapeutics, um, I think this definitely means a lot of hope.
0: Maybe I should bring in our, our doctor friend here and see what he has to say on this topic, because so I think we'll get some interesting views if you want to stick around for that. Um, we have uh, Dr. Ronald Barg. He's the medical director at Penn Medicine Primary Care. He's also a board member, board member of the Center for Health Care Innovation at Penn. I know he's been involved uh, in the healthcare community here for a long time. Dr. Barg, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Jeremy, thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, it's a great great to have you on. Uh, can you any thoughts on just how Philadelphia is managing through this crisis at the moment, and your thoughts on the latest news on the on the therapeutics that are going through the process?
3: Well, I, I think we've clearly seen in the Philadelphia area that uh, we've been hit, probably not as hard as some other areas like New York. Uh, there has been a uh, certainly a significant. Uh, activity, uh, significant number of uh, patients that have been hospitalized and patients that are in quarantine at home. So there's no doubt it's had a uh, significant impact here. Um, I'm not sure where we are in the cycle, whether we've hit our peak, uh, whether we're in the plateau phase or where we're at. I think we're hopefully at a plateau. Uh, I have, I have not seen anything that would suggest that we've had a rapid Decline in the number of cases, um, so I think that's where we are in Philadelphia. Yes, and have, have
2: you been following some of the, the the recent news on remdesivir and and what's your opinion on that and and other possible therapeutics?
3: Well, I I, I think your comments earlier were spot on. I think it's it's very um, gratifying and it feels good to think that. We might have a treatment that will decrease the mortality of this disease. So when I think about remdesivir, it is a uh, drug that is really targeted uh, to those people that are critically ill and otherwise um, might succumb to the illness and hopefully reduce the percentage of people that succumb and uh, speed their recovery. Um, Exactly where this is going to fit whether it's going to work as a solo agent, whether, as in some other viruses, we see combination drugs um, that seem to work, I think uh, that's it's too soon to tell so it's nice to see that um, we have some positive results. I know there's drug studies on lots of other drugs as well, and I'm optimistic that we will come up something that with something that will positively impact this for the very, very high-risk group who are critically ill. Uh, I don't think the remdesivir is going to have a significant place in people that have this disease that's milder, that don't require hospitalization. Uh, and then the other group to really think about is what can we do to prevent illness in those people who have not already had it? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and that was going to be my my
2: question uh, uh, first of all, I, it, it, it is remarkable because there, there seem to be such dismal results from people on ventilators, um, uh, and and of course the, these preliminary results that we've gotten on remdesivir uh, have just totally turned that around uh, in that severe form. Um, now there is talk about can can it. Treat mild forms. You, you've expressed some skepticism there. Um, uh, why is it the way of that? Or other antivirals, I, I remember, uh, often have to be taken very early in an infection to have any uh, effectiveness. Um, do you think that uh, uh, that remdesivir does not fall into that category, or we can develop a drug that might fall into that category?
3: Well, I think we'd have to develop something. I mean, right now, my understanding is this requires intravenous administration, and it's a 10-day course. I don't know that it's going to be particularly applicable to those patients earlier in their disease where they might have milder illness. They might be home, and the overwhelming majority of those people, probably 90% of them, um get better with relatively mild disease that's really like the flu or the flu plus. It's probably a little worse than the average flu. Um but they get better. Uh, and I think you have to be careful about giving new drugs that might have side effects to people that otherwise have a very high likelihood of getting better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the, the other uh Big discussion uh, 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 is is the something I guess uh, I'm pronouncing it correctly cytokine storm, where the immune system launches this huge reaction to the virus, uh, which seems to overwhelm the system. Um, there are some drugs. Um, in fact, th- there are some drugs I think developed at the University of Pennsylvania. In, in in connection with their path breaking CAR-T therapy work um uh on cancer that uh the uh, that the the cytokine storm was an early problem for them, and they seem to have brought that under control um i yeah, i don't i'm i don't know if I'm remembering Artema. i think it's a roach product but uh are you uh is is that also I mean, is that also you think an important part of treating some of these severely uh, impacted patients?
3: Yeah, we really don't have a good understanding why patients will seem to do relatively well for 7, 14 days and then all of a sudden have a rapid downhill course. And there's some people that speculate that a massive release of cytokines, which is kind of our own body's immune system, um, releasing um, agents that actually can be harmful Mm -hmm. um i i don't think there's really a good enough understanding quite yet exactly what role that plays in the pathogenesis uh of the illness but certainly that represents a potential opportunity to intervene and decrease um uh, morbidity and mortality in the disease it's just too early to tell uh, and, and I know that there's a lot of people working on a variety of different agents that might be beneficial at that stage in the disease, uh, and, and I, it's great research, but I'm not sure any of that is really ready for clinical use yet, but certainly the flurry of activity, it might be ready for use in the near future.
0: Let me just reintroduce our guest. We're talking with Dr. Ronald Barg, Medal Director at the Penn Medicine Primary Care uh, Practicing Internist in Balakinwood here in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, and so, Dr. Barg, um, one of the things that, you know, the, the big news story of the, the week is, is trying to open the economy. You know, wh- how, where do you think Pennsylvania is in this Northeast Corridor, the coalition? What are you hearing? How do you, how do you think, uh, how ready are we in, in Pennsylvania? And how, how do you think the timelines are going to progress?
3: Well, I suspect there's probably other parts of the country that are a little bit further along than uh, Pennsylvania is. I I think it has to be pretty clear that we've uh, at least plateaued, if not, are on a downswing in terms of the number of cases so that we can manage that. I think that the the key to reopening the economy, though, uh, is to have um, kind of better understanding of what's going on in our population. Um, so that we understand who are the people at risk and um, who are the people at risk for themselves. So who are the high-risk people to get the disease that might have bad outcomes? But just as important, what's the risk of folks walking around that are um, ripe to transmit the disease to others? And so I think, as everybody else has been talking about, testing and understanding our population is really going to be key, to being able to reopen things safely and then on the other end of this it's going to be very important to identify people who have disease early on to quarantine them and to do a, a vigorous job of identifying their contacts so they can be self-quarantined so we don't just you know put lighter fluid on the fire and re-inflame the number of cases that we have in the area and ultimately have so many cases that it really overwhelms the healthcare system. So, well, doctor, what what
2: do we need? I mean, we all we all hear as you say, more testing. Um, uh, and we know there's been some rapid progression from the first faulty CDC test to then tests that took a long time, then faster and faster and faster and we even heard about a 15-minute test. Um
3: uh, so where's
2: the bottleneck? Where wh- What do we need to get from whom to do such rapid testing?
3: Well, we certainly need to have rapid testing for anybody that we have a suspicion might have the disease and might ultimately be contagious, and that's probably going to be both people with symptoms as well as close contacts of people with symptoms so that we can easily uh, or quickly diagnose someone during the infectious stage isolate them and and really follow up to try and isolate the population that can potentially infect others
2: what do we is that this is that the squab test is supposed to be the nasal swab test is supposed to be the easiest and fastest actually can be done by the patient I mean is that where you th- think we should go en masse. Are those kits available? Where are they from? Where can they come from? What? So I'm trying to get a little operational
3: here on how we make this happen. So that's certainly the way we've been doing it so far. Um, I have heard of, they are working on other types of technology that might allow us to make the diagnosis early, either on a, a swab with lower viral loads than the current test does um, and uh, uh, actually in a less expensive fashion. Uh, if you think about it, um, we do finger stick blood sugars on people all the time very quickly. Mm-hmm. We can come up with a test um, analogous to that, whether it's a pharyngeal um, you know, saliva test, whether it's a nasal swab or whether it's a blood test that we can do quickly and cheaply, that would put us in much better position to allow the economy to open back up, people to get back to work, and have a better understanding of where our risks lie. The way it is right now, um, particularly with all the information about pre-symptomatic spread of infection, um, we're really in a situation where we almost have to assume that everybody is potentially infectious. And that's what leads to kind of this universal precautions and complete shutdown of the economy and um, all the social distancing recommendations that we see today.
0: There was a new story that Rutgers just got approved for a saliva test um from the fda is that uh how quickly can if rutgers gets approval how quickly do you think pen can come to come to the table
3: well i i saw i saw that i and I, i'm blanking on where the other test was i think it's in uh, ucsf in san francisco came out with a uh, uh, a new test that can identify a much smaller number with technology that's a lot simpler um my understanding is the technology is almost like a home pregnancy test where someone can do it themselves and identify very quickly. Um, those types of technology that don't require a lot of automation probably could be scaled up much quicker than the way we're doing the testing now. Mm. Are, are you, Dr.,
2: uh, do t- treating any virus patients or testing any
3: patients at, at this time? Uh, absolutely. I have a number of patients who are in home quarantine that have tested positive, and I we've really been sending a lot of patients um, for testing in the area. Most of that's being done through some of the uh, drive-through testing um, uh, that's available in the Philadelphia area. Uh, is
2: that now you're in the suburbs. Is that correct? Are, is that correct. You're located. I mean, are, uh, you know, we see on TVs, uh, you know, uh, miles long lines of cars. Is is it? Are are these uh, relatively accessible? Or and and how long does it it been taking people once they get that test to get their results back?
3: Yeah, those are great questions. So um, it it has been accessible to the extent that the limit is the number of tests available for them to do, uh, and it, it has not been available in a high enough um, number so that we could send everybody. So it's been a little bit of rationing based on symptoms and um, Risk factor. level of, of concern that you have on the individual patients. And so there's been guidelines that have gotten uh, easier mm-hmm. uh, as time went on. When we started this, uh, people really needed to be critically ill and a uh, candidate for hospitalization to get tested, whereas right now, uh, it's a lot more liberal, but we're pretty much still relegated to people who are symptomatic. We've not really started doing aggressive testing on people that are um, have minimal or no symptoms and just have a epidemiologic risk because they were in close contact or they have a family member who lives in the same home with them who's also ill. Mm. Uh, that that level we don't have so but we have been able to get it it's had to be scheduled And how long is the test result the results are uh can be at at least in this area dependent so i've been able to get results back in 45 minutes for certain groups Uh, that's very limited in terms of the number that's available uh the commercial labs where lots of Um, the testing goes. uh, LabCorp and Quest are the two biggest in this area, and I think nationally. Um, They initially took about seven days, but their turnaround time has really gotten significantly better. And the recent tests that I have seen, I think the average turnaround time is about three days. Mm -hmm.
2: I see. And we hope to be able to ramp this up when the limiting is the testing, where are these kits coming from? Are they coming from the manufacturing? Are they coming from government sources? Where they're being sent from where to you, and where is that source?
3: So it's a var- variety of different sources, and what I've heard is the limitation it can come at different levels. So you require uh, not only the testing site to be up and running, but you also require the appropriate nasal swabs, you require the appropriate containers that um, have viral uh, culture media so they um, the viruses stay intact, and then you require the equipment that allows for testing. And if you don't have all of those things, all you need is a uh, one link in that chain yeah. to be in short supply, and it'll back everything else up. Uh, and I think it varies from place to place where the barriers are. Um, what I've heard is one of the major barriers is the availability of the uh, swabs. Yeah, the long uh, and, swabs. Yeah, and, and that, yeah. that has clearly, um, in most cases, I think, been the bottleneck.
2: It, it's sort of a terrible irony that all we needed was long Q-tips and we don't have
3: Uh, there's no doubt about it. I don't think anybody anticipated that we would have the need for those long Q-tips to a degree that we have right now.
0: Yeah. Um, We've we've been quiet with Lee Chen, and I know she's one who follows the the, the virus and gives us a lot of commentary every week. Lee Chen, do you want to jump in with any thoughts or questions for Dr. Bark?
1: Yes. Hi. Actually, um, I'm back to work. um, I'm very positive on the U.S. uh, last months on you know avoid a medical run and continue to be positive on uh, returning to work uh next two months uh, without triggering a second wave but one thing i've been noticing in data is that look in the us about 60 to 70 percent of counties really have very few cases and also really sufficient uh, hospital capacity because you can look at um, the hospital capacity uh, dashboards in different states so for example um because the original goal of mandatory stay at home order was to avoid a medical run. Right now, it's very hard to defend uh, continued um, mandatory, you know, stay at home across the board. So, for example, like in Idaho, the number of new cases has peaked uh, on April 20, uh, 2nd. Uh, I know Pennsylvania is more like a plateauing situation. But in Idaho, they really, you know, have come down significantly. And uh, at least like 20 counties have less than 10 cases. Only four counties has more than like 100 cases. So this is really argues for a staggered reopening. Uh, I just wonder, you know, what in similar situation in Michigan as well, actually, you know, Michigan, a lot of people are protesting and they have a you know a point there are many countries have very few cases with a pretty sufficient uh, hospital capacity at least from the data so i wonder what you know from the doctor like do you do you like from your point of view like what's the do you think you know some counties you know could open much earlier i don't
3: think there's any doubt the uh burden of the virus or how much virus is actually circulating in the community varies significantly from place to place. But the key to making sure that the number of cases doesn't go up is really going to be early identification of cases, because I don't think anywhere really can be confident that they're not, they don't have any cases or they don't have any virus circulating in their community. And so the key is going to be our ability to identify cases uh, early to aggressively quarantine people who are infectious and to do um, contact tracing to figure out who has it. And those counties um, probably could reopen as long as they have the ability to do those things. Uh, It is interesting, though, I think you have to be careful because in lots of uh, more rural counties, which have the advantage of um, social distancing because there's there's distance between people in general. They also have a lot less resiliency in terms of uh, their medical infrastructure and their ability to react to a significant increase in number of patients. Uh, and so that's the pro and the con. I still think the key is going to be, Uh, our ability to identify cases and to isolate cases and do um, contact uh, um, uh, tracing. Um, The thing that would change that would be either treatment modalities that allow us from taking a very severe illness to making it a much less severe illness and our ability to effectively uh, treat what has really, Uh, been a disease that not only has a high mortality, but a high morbidity.
0: Well, Dr. Bark, I appreciate you joining us for some commentary here. It's obviously the most important issue is what's going on with the virus. So thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts. You got it, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz.